I could share plenty of times in my career where leaders have looked at me and said, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. And the one thing I did not do is I did not get defensive and I did not fight back. Okay. That wasn't going to win any points. Okay. I understand. So the first thing that's important is we have to listen. Um, We can't just come into an organization and say, I have the HR title and I'm going to tell you how it is. Absolutely not. You, You have to come in and you have to listen. I had an opportunity to work with an organization. This goes back many years ago. And one of the managers, I was an interim in an interim HR role. And one of the managers came in and he said to me, I just want you to know, I don't like HR. (laughs) Now, at that point, what do you do? And I said, okay, that's fair. I get it. And that's all I said. I think he was taken back by the way I responded because by the end of my, I was there for several months until they hired somebody and he came in to me the last day and he said, you've really changed my opinion about HR. So I think the first thing is we can't get defensive and we have to really listen. Tell me why. Tell me more about that. Tell me what's going on. Okay, I understand. So that you understand the place that they're coming from. I have always been about, I'm going to give you the facts. What you do with those facts is up to you. It's your organization. You're ultimately responsible. My job is to give you good information. Welcome to PCC Local Time. I am your host, Nancy Hess, and I'm excited to introduce a new series to you today that is especially made for HR professionals and managers who wrangle with HR issues. Today, my guest and partner in this series, Kim Nash, will join me in the first two of our six conversations in the Busting HR Myths series. Kim Nash is a recognized expert in the field of HR. She teaches the certification preparation courses for the Society of Human Resource Management, or SHRM, the credentialing agency for HR professionals. She also has her own consultancy, Thrive, and has just written a book on leadership titled Burn the Plow. This series of conversations are a little different from my other podcast episodes in that they are 30 minutes each and build on a central theme of how HR can create value in your organizations. These episodes will help you build the business case for HR and provide a perspective that will help you evaluate your organization needs. We hope these episodes will stimulate more conversations inside the Pioneering Change community as we build out content in the coming months. If you are interested in learning more, Sign up for the PCC newsletter via the link found in the show notes. That is also where you find out where to connect with Kim. And now, on with the show. I begin by asking Kim why she picked the topic HR is Evil for our first conversation and to start us off in this series with a few of her thoughts. Sure, yeah. HR is a necessary evil. So I have the opportunity to talk with a lot of organizations. I have the opportunity to talk with a lot of HR professionals. And One of the questions that I will always ask people is, what is the impression of HR by leadership, by employees? And unfortunately, sometimes the term I get is we have to have them. We have to have HR to be compliant. And so it's really, and I've heard that term, it's a necessary evil because HR is seen as overhead. And so it doesn't always have a a, a positive impression or perspective. And so I think I've been trying over my career of 30 plus years to change that impression about HR that 
we're not a necessary evil, that we really do bring value to the organization. I think that some of the the roots of HR may be in part to blame. If I think back on the early days before HR was even a thing, it was more of an administrative role. And we had, of course, over the decades, an increase of employment regulations. So then they became uh, not only associated with administration, they became associated with enforcement. Those early roots, I think, created some misconceptions. And I don't know if there was a turning point, but I think we talk a lot more about the width and breadth of the field of HR. Sure. No, I think you bring up a great point. When you go back, I look back over my 30 plus year career of HR and how the profession has really changed. And I think a lot of it from the beginning was we need employees to fill out their forms. We need employees to sign up for benefits. And so it's an administrative role and you just need to make sure you keep us compliant. That was a big Part of what HR was in the beginning. And I can remember when I got into it, making sure that when new hires signed up, that we got all the forms completed. And it was a very administrative, you know, it was a risk management type of thing. And thanks to SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management and leaders and organizations, they said, you know what, there's a lot more value here than just being a paper pusher and trying to manage employee risk. There's a lot more to this. And so really for the last, I want to say probably 20 years, I know Sherm has really had a push on let's advance the profession and what does that look like? And so there's been, I just, Sherm is actually celebrating 75 years this Mm -hmm. year, but I would say in the last 20 years that they've really seen a growth in their membership. Yeah. I remember in early days, there would be a discussion also about the balance between employee advocacy on the one hand, where to go to HR and, and let them know if you had a problem. And then on sure. the other hand, you were then to go tell the leaders what the problem was. And so there was this very tricky balance of what exactly was the role of HR. And if you knew managers, sometimes in conversations with them, they would not like the fact that the employee... Okay. Going to HR and not going to them to address. Do you remember? And I think in your training today, when you coach and help HR professionals, you're not guiding them necessarily to do one or the other. There's something in there that is in the art of managing in the HR realm. Maybe you could talk about that change in the role. Sure. So a few years ago, just to give you a personal experience of what happened, I had a client call me and said that they had a certain situation. And I said, this would be my recommendation. Obviously, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't give legal advice. But here's my recommendation about how to handle it. A few hours later, the owner of the company called me and just was screaming at me on the phone and said, whose side are you on? And I said, well, back up a minute. I said, I'm not on anybody's side. I'm on the right side. And sometimes that right side is the employee. Sometimes that right side is the organization. That, you know, that, again, and it's interesting as I talk to HR professionals, I'll say, why did you get into HR? Well, I want to help the employees. And I'm like, that's not really what HR is anymore. And so you mentioned an advocate for employees. And it's really, when we have successful, thriving organizations, everybody wins. Everybody wins. And so there's a lot of stakeholders that win. So 
for me, HR is really about let's make sure that we're all doing the right thing. And again, sometimes that may be we have to do this thing because it's for the employee's sake. Sometimes it's for the management's sake. Sometimes it's for the organization. But I don't take sides. I want to look at what is in the best interest of everybody. I think of now the role of being an internal guide. So the HR person would be partnering with the manager. That would be my sort of thought about that. That if somebody comes to me with a concern or this is what's happening, I have to think about if I'm partnering with that manager, what do I need this employee to understand? And if like you, if there's a situation where I'm detecting here is something that's a clear violation, the tool that I try to go back on is just that if you don't employ this sort of grievance process, complaint process, mm -hmm. due process, you are more likely to face an investigation mm -hmm. from outside. Sure. So by partnering with you, not taking your place, more or less advocating for conversation between you and the mm -hmm. employee, if that's not possible because the situation has already reached a, which rarely happens, but when it does reach that kind of situation, something else has to happen, but you want that to happen inside the organization as opposed to having the employee go to an attorney. Absolutely. And that's exactly right. We want to make sure that we address it, right, address it internally. A lot of times, a lot of times that I've been involved in things, it's miscommunication, it's misunderstanding, and it's not really, an employee may feel like I'm being harassed or I'm being discriminated against. And there are cases where that's absolutely true. I won't deny it. But a lot of times it's just a misunderstanding. We have poor communication. And uh, I, I totally agree with you on the partnership. And if you look at more and more organizations, they're using the title for their HR position as an HR business partner. And that's really what that, that position has become. It is a business partner. And we are looking at all angles. And you're right, as much as we can take care of, resolve those issues when they're this big, instead of being this big, it's going to be beneficial for everybody. The reason why we're doing this series is to really bring home the importance of the professional development in this field. So if you're a manager listening to this and you have an HR person that has not yet embarked on the journey to certification, or perhaps there's some extended learning at a nearby college mm -hmm. or university, this is so important for them to actually fulfill that role of a partner instead of somebody who does whatever it is that they've been tasked to do. No, absolutely. And again, being in HR for 30 years, I learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. So being an HR business partner requires a growth mindset where you are continually learning. And I love working with HR professionals. I've spent 20 plus years mentoring and, and coaching and training HR professionals. I love to do it because I see just the importance of that role in the organization. And because what is an organization? It's humans, it's people, and we are human resources. And so we are really at the center of the organization and things are changing. The workforce is very different than it was 20 years ago. And there's just a lot of changes. And so if we're trying to manage like we did in the 1980s, it's not going to work. You're not going to retain employees. So we become coaches to the managers and helping them to develop 
the skills that they need to work with today's workforce, to retain that workforce, and to achieve their goals. They're working with those people to achieve their goals so that their department can be successful and the organization can be successful. If we could identify some of the old mindsets that have changed, and this could happen if you have a mature manager, I can certainly relate to this. You have sort of in your mind what should be. I need to have this personnel policy handbook. I see this when they hand it to me and basically want me to update their handbook. And I explain to them, that's not something I can do in isolation. That's an engagement issue. It is something that requires some conversation inside the organization. So that would be an example like of old mindsets that say, this is what HR is and helping them to understand maybe that it's it evolved into a new management process or system mm-hmm. way of thinking. So you have a couple of things. Number one, I could probably spend a lot of time in this area, but number one, the laws have increased. So we've talked about compliance. Yes, we have a lot of compliance and there are a lot of employment laws that we have to be aware of that's really tricky. And so let's just take one area from an employment law perspective and let's talk about employee leaves. Years ago, you used your vacation time and that was it. Now you have FMLA, family medical leave that you have to manage. So now you have an employee that's out for 12 weeks and you have to hold their job. What do you do? Or the 12 weeks is up and now you have an employee that the doctor says, we need two more weeks. What do you do? Now that becomes ADA. It's a really, it's a really challenging thing. Or maybe it's a worker's comp issue. So you need someone to help you navigate through those things. So that's one area just that, that's a big change is just how do we manage employee leaves? But another one that I talk about a lot is that I've seen a lot of change in is when I started working in the 80s, the management philosophy was if you have problems, personal problems, you drop those at the door and you come to work and you do your job and then you pick up your problems on the way out and take them back home. And unfortunately, there's still some managers that I think that are leading like that. But when you start looking at the employee benefit programs that companies and organizations are now offering, they're offering more programs to help employees, like employee assistance programs. They'll have lunch and learns on how to deal with your teenager or how to deal with your elderly parents, because these are all things that are going on in people's lives. And you can't just not come to work and drop those. These come into the work environment. May is Mental Health Month. And so we're recording this in May. And so May is Mental Health Month. And although we have a long way to go, there's from the time I started in HR to where we are now, we've there's been strides forward and companies are recognizing that. It's part of your the law changed. It's part of you can get health benefits for that. But the EAP programs, the you can take FMLA for mental health. Companies are even offering mental health days in addition to sick days. It's being recognized, and I know that there's a long way to go on it, but that is a big change that I've seen. So those are two big areas that that I've seen a change in over the last couple of years, decades. Yeah, yeah no, that's huge. I think the work-life integration is critical. And it's very interesting to me what happened with COVID and the lockdown. So many things that I'd heard for years, people say, we can't do that. We can't do that. Suddenly, right. flexibility became a strength. And I have been impressed with the ability of managers to really shift with that new 
knowledge. And, but it, it is a challenge. Um, I think you must see this as well. It is a challenge going forward because now employees see that this is so much better for their sure. work integration. Right. Yeah. I think the term that we want to use is flexibility. There are people that, you know, and this is what each organization has to work through. And I, I think that we need to learn to be more flexible and not just, this is the way we, that we've always done it. And there are clearly jobs where they cannot work remotely. You just can't do it. You have to be on site. And how do you manage that? Offering flexibility. And what does that look like? There's a lot of different ways that you can do that, but we have to think outside the box. So is it working for 10-hour days? Is it working? I see some companies they're looking at, we're going to work three 12-hour days and to give people four days off. So looking at different things that we haven't looked at in previous years, because we've just always done it this way, it's time to really step back and say, yeah, there are positions where we can have people work three days in the office and two days from home. I have some, I have some, I I think I have some concerns about people working all the time remotely because I think you miss out on some mentoring opportunities and growth opportunities. So I think there needs to be some time where you can get together, whether that's once a quarter or something like that. But I think we just have to look at work differently where it's done. And I always got a kick out of when organizations, we were in the shutdown and everybody was working remotely and people would use the term, okay, we're going to come back to work. No, we're not coming back to work. People were working. We're coming back to the office or we're coming back to the work. And I would hear that. I'm going, no, it wasn't like they were off for the last two years. They're coming back to the office, not coming back to work. So just thinking about work, how work can be done in a way that is, provides people flexibility. Yeah. Kim, you were an HR director, manager for some time before you began your consulting role. And so I think you're just at a great place to provide some understanding of what it's like to be in that position. And maybe there's been a change in leadership, or maybe you're just someone who has gone through the growth mindset, gone on to get some certification, and you're in this position, but nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And I want, if you have some thoughts about that and recommendations for somebody who might be in that position. Sure. Absolutely. I could share plenty of times in my career where leaders have looked at me and said, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. And the one thing I did not do is I did not get defensive and I did not fight back. Okay. That wasn't going to, that wasn't going to win any points. Okay. I understand. So the first thing that's important is we have to listen. Um, We can't just come into an organization and say, I have the HR title and I'm going to tell you how it is. Absolutely not. You, You have to come in and you have to listen. I had an opportunity to work with an organization. This goes back many years ago. And one of the managers, I was an interim in an interim HR role. And one of the managers came in and he said to me, I just want you to know I don't like HR. Yeah. At that point, what do you do? And I said, okay, that's fair. I get it. And that's all I said. I think he was taken back by the way I responded because by the end of my, I was there for several months until they hired somebody and he came in to me the last day and he said, you've really changed my opinion about HR. So I think the first thing is we can't get defensive and we have to really listen. Tell me why. Tell me more about that. Tell me what's going on. Okay, I understand. So that you understand the place that they're coming from. I have always been about 
I'm going to give you the facts. What you do with those facts is up to you. It's your organization. You're ultimately responsible. My job is to give you good information. So there have been plenty of times where I'll talk to a company and I'll say, I don't really think you're in compliance with wage and hour laws. And here I'm going to pull the stuff off the wage and hour site and I'm going to provide it to you. You read it, you interpret it. And that's what I do. I'm not going to, this is not my opinion. This is not, I have a lot of opinions, but it's, that's not credible. I need to find credible resources that, and then provide that. And then when the leader of the organization makes a decision, I know that I did my job, even if they disagreed with me. But the best thing is, and here's how you develop credibility. It's going to take time. So the best thing that has happened is when you provide information and they don't listen to you. And then six months later, they realize you were right. And that's not your time to gloat and say, see, I told you so. You say, okay, good. I'm glad that we got there. And then the next time they're going to say, okay, I trust you because I saw that, that you were right. So it, it's how we approach it, our perspective, and make sure that we're just providing credible information. But I think what you're talking about too is just the role that you see yourself in. And mm -hmm. so you have to actually uh, embrace this idea that you're something more than, say, an administrative you know, specialist, which many HR people are specialists, very knowledgeable specialists. And you have to upgrade yourself, even if that title has not sure. been officially given to you, to do something that is saying, here's, here's the next step that we can take in this organization to improve this process or this policy or this way of looking at something or something we can do. And I'm sure that it's difficult and many are timid to to show that initiative. But I think that is part of the growth experience is finding out what might happen if you do express your views and your ideas. And as you express so well, it takes time and you're just mm -hmm. going to do your best. And I think in the HR field, there's so many ways that you can go with that. So to, to move away from the sort of HR is a necessary evil, I'm going to imagine that you have to do more than to point out what the organization is doing wrong. Right. Here are some things that we can also do some ideas that we can bring to the table. HR has so many great areas to explore. And maybe we could take a few minutes to talk mm -hmm. about that, that it's the positives that can come out of the mm -hmm. HR department that might not be anticipated by the leaders mm -hmm. or managers. Yeah. No, that's a great question. It's not about what we've been talking about is reactive. And so, so how do you shift and you be proactive? And number one, one of the things that, that I hear, I get a lot of feedback from HR, I'm so busy doing whatever. The first thing is identify those things you can outsource and why. So first of all, I'll tell you the one thing, the top of the thing that needs to be outsourced is like something like COBRA administration or evaluating benefits, get a benefit broker. And the reason that you do that is those are not necessarily employee-facing things, even payroll. The employees don't care who processes their payroll. They just care that it's there on payroll day. So you look at all of those administrative things that other organizations are really good at. That's their niche, and they can do those because that frees us up so that we can focus more on employee engagement. We can focus on the recruiting process. We can focus on retention and training and development. We can focus on all of those things because a lot of times we feel like, oh, we're so burdened with all this paperwork and administrative stuff. Get out of it. Get out of it. Bring in an HRIS system. 
And so that's the first thing that we need to do. The next thing that we need to do is managers love. They absolutely love when someone comes to them, not only with a problem, but a solution. And so it is, that's something that's the extra mile that you're going to stand out because what do managers get all day? They get the problems. Everybody comes to them with a problem and you hear this, somebody needs to do this. Somebody needs to do that. So one of my things that I'll do is I'll say, okay, here's an issue that we have and let me find some solution. And I'll walk into a leaders, I'll walk in, mostly I deal with CEOs or vice presidents and I'll walk in and I'll say, here's a situation. Here's the situation. And you know what? Here's three solutions. And they're like, wow. That will get you credibility. If you're just coming with problems, that's what everybody else does. But what's going to set you apart is that you have solutions and they're viable solutions. You've researched them, you have ideas, but coming up with solutions, that's going to set you apart. So HR becomes a place of potential. It is something that is associated with more than the administrative detail. There's actually a HR is part a part of the problem-solving process, yeah, which is absolutely. affecting all of managers. And we know that the people problems are the ones that, that typically rise to the top day-to-day. -to -day. I think that the to the extent that the HR person can be involved in those conversations that are happening throughout the organization, uh, it just becomes, a, as pointed out, just the more valued business partner. And to go back, speaking of business partner, there there is the partnering in all of the people issues, but also the business partnering does mean you have to have some knowledge about what if we were to outsource. Instead of saying mm -hmm. we can outsource this, mm -hmm. could be, I researched three other places like ours, or, and this is mm -hmm. what they're doing and how much they're paying. And this is, you can begin to help the manager evaluate mm -hmm. some of the other. So let me just take with that, I mentioned an HR system. One of the things when you're building a business case, and that's the other thing that HR professionals need to understand is how do you build that business case? And so an HR system is not just a benefit to HR. It's a benefit throughout the organization. And when you build that business case, you don't go into leadership and say, I think we need to implement an HRIS because it'll make my job easier. Yeah, <laughs> they're just going to laugh. So that's not the way that we look at it. So we build a partnership. So we talk to managers and we say, if we had an HR system, this is something that you could do in there and it would make your job easier. This is how it's going to make our organization more efficient. This is how it's going to help us achieve our strategic goals. So as HR professionals, when we're going in to advocate to leadership, we have to be able to speak their language and we have to understand what are the key points that they're looking for and how will outsourcing this benefit that organization. And so we have to be able to show what, the, not the benefit to me as the HR person, but the, what is the benefit to the organization? I think so often we find that the HR manager, like many managers, are just overwhelmed. Their plate is full. Sure. And one of the ways in which I think in the consultant role we can be very effective is, is when we recognize right off the bat, it's not possible for one person to do all of these things and sure. to really break down what it is that the organization needs most now. And as you said, whether that's kept, a function is kept in-house or whether it becomes part of something contracted out is a really important first step to, sh to shaping. I have clients who, you know, either now or have looked for an HR director and they'll send me, how does this job description look? And I'm like, you need five people for that job description. Sure, sure. But it's difficult to always understand well, is what's realistic and how you want to shape that position. 
I think over the series, we're going to be able to parse that out a little bit. So we have the today is we're looking at the overall HR function, but talk a little bit about the next episode. Yeah. So episode two is we're going to talk about our recruitment strategy. And a lot of organizations have a philosophy. I always say, what is your recruitment strategy? And they look at me and I think that it's post it and a prayer. So they're posting on Indeed or whatever job board they're using, and then they just pray about it. But we really need to be intentional. And so we're going to talk about how the recruitment process has changed over the years. So we're going to look at that and give you some ideas and thoughts about how to put a recruitment strategy together, because posting a job out on a job board is not doing it today. It is not, it's not going to get you what you need. That's great, Kim. And I look forward to that next conversation with you. We're going to keep these episodes to about 30 minutes and we'll see where it takes us, but I'm very yeah. excited about yeah, this. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for being here. All right. Thanks, Nancy. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few seconds with the second conversation in our Busting the HR Myths series. so much for your flexibility in this meeting. It's been a bit of a rush these last couple of weeks. I so appreciate yeah. your flexibility. I know you understand you've got your own busy yeah. schedule. So how are things going with your summer so far? Good, busy, of course. <laughs> I'm leaving on Saturday to go to the SHRM conference in Las Vegas. That's wonderful. And then maybe when you come back, we could do some, some discussion around what you yeah. found at the conference because that would be sure. really interesting. Yeah. Things yeah. that you picked up. Yeah. yeah. Kim, let's get started today. Sure. You're ready? We're yeah. recording already. But I am excited to <laughs> talk about this topic of recruitment. It is what I've been thinking about. And it was another area of presentation at the conference I was at last week. I'm really feeling a different direction in recruitment these days. And I think the traditional recruitment models. And, and I want to explore this with you. We put this outline together, post it and they will come. It's a very intriguing topic. Can you say... Something more. You say here that recruitment is more than posting an open position on a job board. Sure. So let's <clears throat> maybe give a little bit of historical perspective. So, of course, I've been around longer than the internet and started in HR before we had an internet. And in our time period back then, when we were trying to find candidates, we had very limited options. So we could, a lot of employer referrals, which we still use today, but a lot of employer referrals, we would hang a banner outside or a sign outside. And then we had the Sunday paper. And that was the big thing. You would be careful about how many words you put in, how, you know, because you've, you paid per line. So we had very limited options. And then we got the internet. And that really changed things because now we didn't have to rely on the Sunday newspaper. We could just post, <clears throat> and in five minutes, we would have resumes. And people would send resumes in, and we could get candidates. We could get candidates far and wide. We weren't just limited to our area, but we had a wider net. And so it was great. 
And I think we, it, and I say this, and I'm, I'm going to say this from my experience, we got a little bit lazy because we had that, it was just very easy. People would just reply in and we would have all kinds of, all kinds of resumes. But today, I think we're at another pivot point with recruiting. And that's why I say, a lot of times I'll say, what is your recruitment strategy? When I'm talking to HR professionals and managers, what is your recruitment strategy? For some, it's still this, I'm going to post it on Indeed or whatever job board, and I'm going to pray that I get applicants. So they have this post and prayer strategy, which is not working. We have to be, we are now being needing to be more proactive, be more creative, because the reality of it is when you look at the number of job openings in the U.S. and the number of people looking for jobs, it's almost a two to one difference. So you have two jobs for every person that's looking for a job. So you have to be creative. And candidates are doing things very differently the ghosting, it's ghosting happens on both sides. And maybe people don't know what ghosting means, but ghosting is when you set up an interview with a candidate and they don't show up. And we're seeing more and more of that. And then there's ghosting on the recruiter side where they don't follow up with candidates. So ghosting is another term that we're seeing along with recruiting. But going back to, we need to be more proactive with our recruiting. So Many organizations have now hired people specifically, that's their job, they're talent acquisition specialists. And their job is to spend their day going out on LinkedIn, other social media, and <clears throat> trying to find candidates and sending them messages. Hey, I looked at your profile. I think you'd be a good fit for this job. Let's chat, that type of thing. So that's a little historical perspective of what's happening. Yeah, I think that's really very illustrative of the arc that we have followed. And that at this place where I like this, that you mentioned that there are actually recruiters, not that there hasn't, there's always been recruiters, but we've always segmented them into this certain sure. buttonhole. And I think that what you're saying is today is just more common, just the thinking that somebody has to take time to actually go out there and search mm -hmm. for appropriate candidates. And so I would add to that, and I'd like your thoughts on this, Kim. I think that the that going back to some of the human connections. So for instance, I mentioned here that a friend of mine who has a beautifully intelligent daughter in the sciences was approached by a company that she had no idea of this company, mm -hmm. but they came to her before she graduated. So she never went out and looked for jobs. I thought this was very brilliant from a psychological standpoint, because if I would have gotten an offer in employment my senior year of college, it would have just eliminated a lot of anxiety because sure. then I wouldn't have to go look. I just say yes, as long as it passed muster. And I think that companies that are finding ways to actually reach out and interact at an earlier stage and I would go so far, I, this is what I wonder maybe is not being taken advantage of enough. As you said, we're used to casting this wider net, but if we target the region that we're in, maybe the community schools, maybe some of the vocational schools, depending on that level, and actually going out and having some contact with the professors, with students, and engage with them a little bit. I think some of the, that sounds old fashioned now, but I think it mm -hmm. actually has and it, there's an advantage just identifying where we might find people actually making some contact with them. 
Yeah. Years ago, I had worked for a company and we, what we did, we were an accounting firm and we were a regional accounting firm. And so for accounting students, it was, oh, I want to go work for a large accounting firm. And so we had to get into the school, the college to be specific about why you should work for a regional firm, not necessarily a large firm. And not that we bypassed the career office at the college. We did. We utilized that, but we got to know the professors, the accounting professors, and they were able to talk up in class <clears throat> the benefits of our organization. So I see not only people getting involved in the schools at the college level, but even earlier. Yes, you're right. Especially, there's a lot of there's a lot of students that should not be going to college, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of especially for organizations that have they they have a need for employees in the trade field. Getting into the schools, I I know companies that get into the junior highs and start putting because they in, in the schools they start putting them on a career path in junior high, and getting in there and talking about what it looks like to do this job, what the money looks like, benefit. If you're a plumber, you're going to have a job for life because we're going to need plumbers. That's not going to go away. So these are certain jobs that are good paying jobs and you're not going to come out of school with a ton of debt. And so getting to students and talking to them. The other thing, and I just had this conversation with someone this morning because I found, she was sharing with me that in their organization, they have a lot of 20-something-year-olds. And I said, that's fascinating to me. How did you get a lot of the younger generation to come into your organization? And what they did was they had hired somebody right out of college. He'd been out of college for a couple of years. And he's the one that goes back to the schools and talks to the students because he can relate to them and say, this is why you need to come and work for our organization. And so I thought that was a really good strategy to, because they can relate. Oh, that's a wonderful strategy. I love that idea. I think this relates to your second point around employment branding, but even before the branding, it's the process of just the conversation about why it is, why this is a a good place to work, what we are about, our purpose. I think the younger professionals are very interested in understanding how their work is going to relate and, and which goes back to the, the advantage of the regional mm -hmm. firm as opposed to the really big firm. I think mm -hmm. when you go into a smaller organization, whether it be local government or small business, you get a much broader engagement with the organization. Mm -hmm. So you talk about branding, Maybe say more about that and also how that relates to just being able to say, this is what our organization can bring just from the work aspect before we even get to the benefits. Just this is why this is a great line of work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from an employment, and maybe people don't understand what employment branding is. Clearly, everybody knows that <clears throat> organizations brand products, they brand their services. And in the whole aspect is to get consumers to purchase. Now, there's some organizations like lo local municipalities that it's there to serve the people. And so they may not have to do a lot of branding about mm, their organization. 
But from an employment branding, what that is, is attracting people to come and work for your organization. Why should they come and work for our organization? And historically, you look at certain organizations, and I can remember when I was in high school, a lot of people were taking civil service exams because they're like, oh, I want to get into the government because I get a pension, I get lifetime employment, and this is great. So a lot of people were taking civil service exams. Today, we don't see that as much. People aren't looking at the post office. That was a great place to work. Everybody saw that, but and they're even struggling to find people. So now is the time we've got to get out and say, okay, why do you want to work for local government? Why? And so selling that. Instead, I think we have this mindset, and I hear this from government a lot, we don't pay well. There's this negative mindset, we don't pay well. We don't pay. Instead of focusing on the negative side, you need to focus on the positive. It's all about mindset and the positives of here's why this is a great place to work. Here's what we offer. Here's, here's, there's a variety of different reasons. It's a small organization. Not everybody wants to work for a large organization. This is the culture, talking about culture. I know so many people that say to me, I know I could go somewhere else and make more money, but I love the team that I work with. I love my supervisor. I don't want to go somewhere else. I have flexibility, whatever the case is. So focus on those positives. Yeah, maybe you're not paying the most dollars, but you have a lot of positives. And instead of thinking negative, let's think positive about why this is a great place to work. Something that comes to mind as you talk, Kim, and I've never seen this on a local government website, maybe it's out there, but personal testimonies, just as you're mm-hmm. describing employees mm-hmm. saying, this is why I really love to work here. And this is what we're about. And this kind of gets into the, to the next section we're going to move to. Employees today or candidates today do their homework. They do the background search and it has a huge impact on their, yeah, their actions. Yeah, exactly. So employment branding, we could do a whole segment just on employment branding. But one of the things that comes to my mind, and I talk to employers about this, is you mentioned that people do research. And that's absolutely true. As we're seeing the younger generation come in, they are looking at organizations that serve the community. How do you serve the community? What's your corporate social responsibility, your sustainability? They're looking at all of those things. And To me, that's a great story that local municipalities can share about how they serve the community, what they do to serve the community. And that is a great story. So how do you get that out there? And again, different ways that we can do employment branding. And you're absolutely right, the website. And look at, I encourage people to go out and look at different organization websites and look at the testimonials that are out there by current employees. And not even current employees, but expand it to the people that consume those services, consumers. And they say, this is what I love about this organization and how they serve the community. And again, you can be a part of this by joining our team. Mm -hmm. Could you give just a brief overview of the process of employment branding for those Mm -hmm. hear that term? Does that mean I need to hire a firm to do employment branding? What does it really boil down to? Sure. So where I start with HR professionals is in talking about this is let's talk about what are the strengths, weaknesses of your organization? And we look at that. We look at why do employees stay? 
So talk to your employees that have been there for five, 10, 15 years. Why do you like working here? What are those things that you really like about working here? Because the employment brand is what people on the outside of the organization think about what it's like to work in your organization. So mm-hmm. I could, if I put out McDonald's or I put out Amazon or Walmart, people that have never worked there have an idea, they have a perspective in their mind what it's like to work there. So what do people think it's like to work at the local municipality in the various jobs? But so we need to get that message out and tell them this is your perspective, but here's what it really is. So we need to find out from our current employees, what do you like about working here? Why do you stay? And we ask those questions and then we use that as the foundation to get that message out there, to get that message out to people that don't work for the organization and why they would want to come and work for the organization. This is what our employees are telling us. So what are our strengths? And if we have weaknesses, maybe we need to look at that. Maybe we don't have a great culture and that's an opportunity for us to improve that. But here's our strengths and we really wanna focus on those and accentuate those out to the community. I think an example that comes to my mind for local government, it's a good example, would be the borough of Lansdale and Montgomery County. And uh, I was working with them for some time and they were just beginning a larger branding project. And I think this is an important point because they, in their branding process, and I remember their, I think it's life in motion was their, what do you call it, a motto, but they use it in their tagging. And what they've done around that process was to help not just employees or candidates, but the larger community to see that this is a community that is engaged in a development process. They were developing the community to serve on the outskirts of Philadelphia. There was a train line that came out. They were really addressing lifestyle. As it grew, and it's a great example, they're very active on social media, but the way they present their community shows not Mm -hmm. only employees in motion doing great things for the community, but they see the community doing great things for the community, you know, the actual... And I think that it was a, it's a good example of how if somebody is looking for a place to work, they're not just looking, they want to know what the employees think, but they also want to know what is the larger reason that would make me want to be at this place? What are they involved in? What is the thing that makes it interesting and serves a larger purpose? Sure. No, great point. And that's the other thing that I tell HR professionals is that To work with your employment brand to get that up and running, it needs to be consistent with whatever your organization brand is. And so from an HR perspective, my expertise is not social media. My expertise is not PR, but I may have a marketing team or we're using an outside PR firm. Let's work collaboratively with them so that we have consistency. So it's not only a great place to live, But it's also a great place to work. And here's why. I love that. I love this idea of the collaborative work. And I think that's Mm -hmm. with anything that we do these days, we are are more tuned to the fact that drawing on the, not just the expertise, but the insights and experiences within the organization, they have to really play into that process if we're bringing in outside experts in whatever area, technology, PR, there needs to be a collaborative process. There's, you talk here about some of the statistics about open positions and the number of job seekers, and you've mentioned some of that. I don't know if there are anything else that you want to share about that 
I do say in my, in my thoughts about our topic this session that the job reports is really muddy. It's not clear. I wonder what you think might be going on. Yeah. Historically, it's always been interesting when you see unemployment rates, like this many people are out looking for jobs and businesses are saying, but we have these openings. So I don't understand why people are looking for jobs when there's this many openings. As I said earlier, we've been running about two jobs for every job seeker. So why are those employees, why are those individuals unemployed when there's two jobs out there? It comes down to a mismatch of if you break down what where the job openings are, you look at things like hospitality or trades, areas like that. And what's really, I think, made it even worse right now is during COVID, people were working remotely and many people like that. And they don't want to go back to a, an office or go back. They like working remotely. Not, not a lot of jobs can be done remotely. And so that's a struggle. So a lot of times these people that are sitting out, it's the skill set they have or they were making really good money and those really good paying jobs in that skill set they have are not there anymore. And so there's just a mismatch. So it's not like you can just take a person and put them in this job. It just doesn't, the number, numerically it makes sense. But when you start peeling away the onion, we just have a mismatch. Yeah, I think that's a great word to describe what's going on right now. Kim, in this next episode, we're going to talk about organizations, how they get the best employees. And I want to just, before we wrap this session up, just ask if there's anything else that that we might want to touch on just about the recruitment process, not so much about getting the best candidates, but just in this process, we're talking about the importance of really going back to some of the root recruitment practices of going out and making connections with organizations yeah. in the region and tapping into what's happening out there with particularly the younger generation coming up. And I suppose there's other areas, organizations that might give older skills and trades workers mm-hmm. that we're not thinking about, perhaps the unions. I don't know. There's probably other ways, but we have to get creative and not just wait for the candidates to come to us. I think that's one of the takeaways I hear you saying that we need to be active and going out to recruit. Yeah. Recruitment is now, it is a verb. You have to go out and you have to be getting involved. It's interesting. A couple of things that, that I think about. Number one, also during COVID, this term, the great resignation came out. And a lot of people, because there were so many different job openings, people were reevaluating. And some people called it the great reevaluation. And they were reevaluating and they were leaving. And one of the things that, that I hear a lot of is this boomerang employee, where the employee leaves, finds yes. out the grass is not greener, comes back. Guess what? That employee is now a great brand ambassador for you because they have left. They've gone out and said, you know what? It's not better out there. You have it really good here. And so they can really help with that employment branding. So that's one thing that that I think of. Also, just really, and I forget what my other point was, utilizing your employees to get out there. And a lot of companies, what they will do is they will provide logoed clothing or organizations provide logoed clothing. Employees, if they like where they work, they're going to wear that out and about. And then people are going to talk to them and say, oh, I see you work for XYZ organization. Yep. Love working for XYZ organization. 
And again, it's just a way to get that name out there. Oh, I know. The other thing I wanted to say is technology during COVID, because people couldn't go to job fairs, they were doing it virtually, virtual job fairs. And I don't know how many people that are listening to this did virtual job fairs, but I would talk to recruiters and they're like, it's very convenient. I didn't have to lug stuff somewhere, sit all day in a gymnasium or whatever but you didn't get the traffic. You did not get the traffic because as people are walking, again, making those connections, as people are walking down the aisle, you can just, hey, reach out to people. Whereas in the virtual, they had to show up in a room. So again, I think a lot of getting out to those job fairs and seeing people face-to-face and just talking about what you do is another way to make those connections. Yeah, this is a really interesting topic as you think about it. Some percentage of the workforce that isn't actively looking would be open to. Sure. And maybe these are some individuals who went out of the workforce for a while to to raise family. Maybe these are older individuals who's had a career, but decided that wasn't what they wanted to do anymore, but they weren't quite sure what they were going to do next. So we're talking about older Mm -hmm. professionals. Mm -hmm really valuable, could be walking around in the community and not necessarily actively checking to see what's available. Now, I don't know how that might be activated, but I'm guessing just through community organizations, you have to go again beyond LinkedIn. You have to really engage the community to say, hey, we're looking for somebody who can help us with for local government, I think they they already have those that ability to tap into community organizations. Mm-hmm. Right. Another way to think about this. Yeah. Get creative. Yeah. I know the township that I live in, they send out a weekly newsletter. It's a virtual weekly newsletter. And they always have in there, here's the job openings that we have. You bring up a great point. We, we have to get past this tradition, traditional candidate. Again, there's people, a lot of times we overlook candidates because we say, this is a, this candidate, we see this candidate and they had management positions and now they want to come and do this. Yeah, because you know what? They're burned out from that. They don't want to manage people anymore. They want to come and just do, I don't know, whatever, snow plowing or whatever. They don't want to do that. And so we have to get out of this mindset that, oh, they're not going to stick around. That's not true. Talk to them. Find out what they're really interested in because, again, they might say, yeah, I had that career. I'm 50 years old. I no longer want to be supervising people. I just want to come to work every day, do my job, and go home. Mm. That reminds me of the the military base. It's near us. We're in central Pennsylvania. It's over in the Carlisle region. And Mm -hmm. I think it was Jeffrey Hanks. I'm pulling that name out of the top of my But he works specifically with those who are retiring from military or transitioning. They could be of any generation, Mm -hmm. but they're transitioning out. And think about the skills training they have. And they may have just a a plethora of management and supervisory skills that could be applied to a number of workplaces. So, yes, it's really about thinking. Just what we're doing right now, Mm -hmm. a conversation needs to happen within the organization. How can we get more creative about Mm -hmm. recruitment? Yeah. And I think this is also a good topic, Nancy. You have an HR community that wants to come together and just sit and brainstorm and learn from each other. This is a great topic to do that with. Let's do that. That's a great idea. Thank you, Kim. Let's wrap this session up and I'll see you on the other side. Okay. Thanks. 